The song says, you better help the voice of youth find what is truth. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, not only trying to distinguish and discern truth uh, for ourselves, but um, you better help that voice of youth find what is truth. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I've been the pastor here for about 13 years, and it's privilege to be with you uh, again uh, this morning. Those of you following on the internet, I got a text this morning. One guy is watching in Munich, Germany this morning, so technology is pretty cool that way, uh, I guess. If you are visiting with us uh, here today, uh, we'd love to give you one of the devotionals that I've written. I wrote them for you. thought it'd be a little something more of substance to be able to give you then maybe just a coffee mug or something like that. And so these are, these are yours and grab one. There's some by this door as uh, you leave and uh, those are for you. Um, like I say, the anchor verse for our scripture today is Third uh, John chapter one, verse four. And I've got it right here behind me. And I showed that to my wife this morning and she had, she, it did not compute. She has never seen the Rudy movie. There, I didn't know there was any person that has never seen. If you've never seen the Rudy movie, you need to go watch it today. It's a true story. But Rudy has seen the light. All right, 3 John 1, 4 is the anchor verse. And John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. That's a verse that is applicable to your biological children, but that's not what John meant when he wrote that. He was meaning the people that he led to the Lord. He was meaning the people that he helped uh, start churches but he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so last week we started a sermon series on, uh, that's probably, I think, the most influential or most important sermon series that I've ever preached. I'm not sure it's going to be the best or anything like that, but the topic is so crucial in 2023. We tried to define truth last week, and I think it's a hard word to define. And when I go to Google or when I go to dictionary, it says that which is corresponds to reality. Well, the truth I'm talking about is deeper than that because it, it corresponds to reality that I have a, a dark blue sweater on this morning, okay? That's not the kind of truth that I'm talking about. I'm talking about much deeper truth than that. Someone called it true truth. And so uh, the Greek word for that is, is aletheia. That's the next slide that we have up on the screen. Um, it's the opposite of the word, Greek word lathia, and you put an A in front of the wor word, and that changes or negates that word. Lathia means forgotten. So the best 
the best definition of our word that gets translated truth in the New Testament so many times, the best way to define that is means it's not forgotten. That means it is something that will not be forgotten. It's been eternal. It always will be. It was true yesterday. It was true today. It'll be true tomorrow. It will not be forgotten. And that is the word that Jesus used when he described himself, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And almost every single New Testament time uh, that the word truth is used, it's this word. We said last week that truth is not what's pragmatic. Truth is not just what works. Truth is not just what fits to your culture. Um, Truth is not what you feel like it is or truth is not even what you believe there is truth that's outside of what I believe the fact that I believe this is so important the fact that I believe something does not make it true that's that is crucial the fact that I believe something doesn't make it true now I certainly hope that what I'm believing and hoping on is truth and I believe that it is but just because I believe it doesn't make it truth. Truth is outside of me. That's why I told you last week, you've heard the old thing that preachers have said it for years and years, that God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You can take the middle part out of it. Now, the middle part makes it applicable to my life, but God said it, and that settles it. The I believe doesn't make it settled. The I believe makes it applicable to my life, and that's absolutely crucial Truth is outside of me. It's outside of something that I believe. Because I believe something does not make it true. That is absolutely crucial. And that is anathema to the worldview of today. We said last week that Aletheia is objective. Is objective. Objective means to um, come to a decision without feelings. I can look at both of my boys, and I love my boys, but I can still tell you they do wrong. I'm objective on that. Just because I love them doesn't mean I'm going to protect them from the consequences of their behavior. That would be very poor parenting. I can be objective when I look at my boys and say, no, they were wrong on that. Objective, we said objective also is um, you've taken a test. You took a true-false test. That's an objective test. There's a right and there's a wrong answer. That's an objective test. You have a multiple choice. You have answers A, B, C, or D. One of those is the right answer. It's objective. That corresponds or that is contrasted with a subjective test, which is like an essay. You had to write a couple paragraphs to answer something. The teacher is subjective and answering that depending on how well you wrote it. It's just not like there's one right answer, A, or one right answer, true. It's objective. Objective is some truth that has nothing to do with my feelings. I may not even like it. I may not even like it. But it's still truth. We also said truth is universal. That means it's true in Xenia and that means it's true in Timbuktu. It's universal truth. It's not depending on culture. It's not depending on the way I was raised. It's not depending on the home I was raised in. It's universal. I found this quote, uh, and I don't know if uh, uh, I tried to find someone to give credit 
for this quote and I couldn't find it. I just find it in my research this week. So I didn't think of this, but it says subjective truths are based on eternal preferences and changes to our whims. Objective truths in contrast are realities in the external world that we discover and cannot be changed by our eternal feelings. External facts are what they are regardless of how we feel about them. I spent a good time this week and uh, I like to watch Christian apologists and these are men and women who argue for the truths of the faith and they argue in a very intellectual way and a lot of the times they go to to college campuses because college campuses is one of the great bastion of subjective truths or your truth my truth our truth or whatever that may be and so this this one guy pastors a church in Connecticut and so he was at a college somewhere I don't know where it was and he uh, was debating someone or some student challenged him and and uh, that, that student said there are no right and wrongs. Um, and he says, well, so, what if, so what if I come up and I, and I just hit you in your jaw? He says, well, I wouldn't like that, but, you know, your mother wouldn't think that was wrong. That's exactly what he said. What? This guy's paying thousands of dollars a year to go to that school. He said, well, you know, it's not wrong, may not be wrong for you. Is that where we are? Truth is challenged in our society today. It's challenged and it's challenged in a couple of ways. One of the, one of the ways is challenged is something called pluralism. You may never heard that, but you've heard of the word plural before. You, you studied that in English, plural means many, it's more than one. And pluralism is, is just the belief that truth is found in many contexts. So you've got, you've got 10 different religions up here and the pluralists will believe there's truth in every one of those. And if you could put them all together, you'll get the truth. It's kind of like, oh, why can't we just all get along? And you know what? We should be able to all get along. We, we should as Christians. We're not out to get anybody. We're out to speak truth, but we're not out to get anybody or somehow put them in jail because they believe differently than we do. But, but the pluralists will believe there's just, there's just truth in a whole lot of different things. And if it's some way you could just put all those truths together, then we may be able to find some kind of truth. I've got a picture up here that describes the pluralists pretty well. It's all these mascots from all these different teams. You know, there's, we're just all in this thing together, you know. I got another thing behind you that you've seen if you go to Yellow Springs very often. <laughs> if you don't know what I mean from that, go to Yellow Springs. And you'll know. <laughs> and so what, we should be able to coexist. We have, we have to be able to coexist. But that doesn't mean that I may disagree with you on something one of the biggest lies that we bought into this culture is somehow I hate you if I disagree with you it's a huge lie that the enemy is portraying on all of us that somehow I'm being hateful if I disagree with what you say so the coexist bumper sticker is just a whole bunch of symbols of a bunch of different religions and we're supposed to just all sing kumbaya and you know we 
we are nice and we, we're, we're respectful and, and all of that. But all those religions make different truth claims. And if you're going to define the word truth as truth, what is true, how can all these conflicting truths be true? So we have challenges. We have challenges to truth today. And pluralism is one of those challenges. You know, as a Christian, we don't adhere to pluralism because the Bible doesn't allow us to. I told you last week. Now, nobody likes to say this, and you get laughed at college campuses for saying this. If you want to know the truth, this is our faith is an exclusive faith. Now, the truth of the matter is, our faith is one that whosoever will, but whosoever will must believe in exclusive definition of faith. The, the, the one who, who most pluralists will believe was one of the greatest teachers who ever lived, Jesus Christ, was an exclusive person and taught an exclusive message. And we went through a little bit of that last week. Luke writes about Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. says, salvation is found in no one else. How, how bigoted Jesus or the Bible is. Luke wrote this and Luke was a physician. Luke was a learned man. His, when, when Luke writes, whether it's his gospel or in, in, in um in Acts, if, if you were a scholar of the Greek, you would know that Luke is a learned man because his Greek is at another level. It's an academic type of Greek. And this academic man, he's a physician, says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. How intolerant. How bigoted. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. This is not an isolated verse in Scripture. Paul writes in Timothy 2, 5, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. So you have God and you have man and you have one person who was a mediator. He was the bridge between a holy God and a sinful man. John chapter 3 Verse 36, John writes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Friends, friends, we don't have an inclusive faith. It's inclusive in whosoever will can come. But you have to come to an exclusive truth claim. And the world hates that and the only way we will be arm in arm and coexist the way that they want us to coexist if we deny that truth claim and I can't deny that truth claim because there's a day and time I have to look him in the eye and if I deny that truth claim I'm denying his word which is about is the same as denying him John 17, verse 3, 
Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm trying to tell you that truth is challenged, and it's challenged by pluralism, but Christianity is not a pluralistic faith. We can coexist, and listen, if we don't coexist with our neighbors who are unbelievers or who are Buddhist or who are whatever, then we're being less than Christian. We must coexist with them. But that coexist is not defined by backing off on what this word, God's self-revelation of himself, tells us that we have to believe. See, I can't pick and choose what I want to believe here. And we, we do that. We do that. That's done a lot. Well, they believe this, but don't, they believe, well, I believe the Gospels. And, but I don't believe that Old Testament stuff. Well... Well, it's, 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 we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one God. And Jesus was just involved with the Old Testament and Paul's letters as he was involved with the Gospels. Truth is challenged with pluralism. Truth is also challenged with moral relativism. Now, this is different. This is what we see more of. There's no universal standard for morality or no universal standard for truth. Rights and wrongs are based on our upbringing, our desires, and the culture around us. That's more relativism. That, that truth is relative to how you were born or how you were raised or how you feel about something. We see more relativism everywhere. It's just so prevalent everywhere and especially on our college campuses the most the, probably the darkest time in the history of the nation of Israel was the book of Judges and the reason of the dark time is because throughout the book of Judges this verse comes back time and time again in those days Israel had no king everyone did as they saw fit that, that verse is repeated, I think, six times throughout the book of Judges. The book of Judges closes with that. That this was a horrible, horribly dark time in the nation of Israel before God gave them a king. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Friends, that is 2023. And as Christians... Where is the right, what is the right that we're supposed to do? It's the right and it's the wrong. That's, that's spelled out for us in scripture. We, we hold God's word as right and wrong. And if something's not mentioned in God's word, then it's an issue that we don't battle over or that we don't take a stand over or something like that. Truth is challenged by pluralism. Truth is challenged by moral relativism. That just morals are relative and truth is it's wrong for you but may not be wrong for me. It's, I've heard it so much on these college campuses. Well, I would never have an abortion but I certainly wouldn't put anyone down for having one. Or I wouldn't have an abortion but I certainly don't think it's wrong for anyone else to have one. Just a little YouTube and will open your minds to the, the prevailing worldview that we have today. Chuck Colson uh, was, um, for those of you that may be a little young to remember this, was in Richard Nixon's cabinet. And I don't know what his position was in the cabinet, but he was pretty heavily involved in the Watergate issue and, and got sentenced to 
prison for breaking some kind of law. I don't remember what it was. And before he was sentenced to prison, he, he was saved. And um, I mean really saved <laughs> in his car one night. And so he did his time, however long that was. And he got out and he started a worldwide ministry, prison fellowship, that made, has done marvelous work all around the world with, with prisoners. Chuck Colson made this statement. No culture in history has ever embraced moral relativism and survived. Our own culture, therefore, will either, one, be the first and disprove history's clearest lesson, or two, persist in its relativism and die, or three, repent of its relativism and live. There is no other option. He wrote that 30 years ago, friends. 30 years ago. How much more of a relative, morally relevant culture do we have today than we did when he, when he waved that banner if you think about it, you know, I'm a male. I, that's, that's, that, that could be, I'm sorry, that could be a sexist statement I was getting ready to say. So I will repent of that because I want to be really diverse. You know how that is. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you got that. Okay, good. But I like logic. I like when things are logical and reasonable. I like it when things make sense. I think that's why I was a math teacher. And moral relativism is not logical. It doesn't add up. Because there's two big claims that moral relativists make. And one of those claims is this. He says, there is no absolute truth. Eric, we got that? Thank you. Well, if you make a statement, there is no absolute truth, you've just made an absolute statement. They said there's no absolute truth. They've just made an absolute statement. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. They feel like everything is relative. That's an absolute statement. That everything is relative. It's not logical. When you push them, when you push it to the nth degree, and on so many of these campus interviews and stuff when this when the the teachers who are nice and polite when they when they really dig and really push on that you know what happens a lot of them they'll just go huh and walk away because they don't have an argument it's not logical everything is relative is an absolute statement so they believe in absolutes there is no absolute truth is an absolute statement. So if you're open to one absolute truth, then you could be open to two or three or whatever it may be. I'm telling you this morning that truth is challenged. More relativism and pluralism are two ways that truth is challenged. I also want to tell you this morning that, that truth is suppressed through atheism. At least that's what God's word says. That truth is suppressed. Now, what do we mean by suppressed? I think this is the best example. Let's say you're having a birthday party for one of your kids. Now, let's say you're having one of the showers on gender reveal showers. So you've got a bunch of blue balloons or a bunch of pink balloons. I'm sorry for being so exclusive there. But um, in, in this box, and they're filled with helium. 
and you've got to suppress those b- balloons because uh, you've got to put the top down on the box or those balloons will get out. So you've got to suppress those. And the Bible says that atheists suppress the truth. Now, I don't think they always know that they're suppressing the truth. But the Bible says atheists suppress the truth. Now, listen to this. It's fascinating stuff. Romans chapter 1, one of the most crucial passages in all of the Bible is, is from Romans 1 to about Romans 5. And, and Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. Who suppress the truth. Suppress the truth means I have to know something about the truth and I know enough about it that I have to keep it suppressed. I won't let it out. I won't let truth do what truth does. Verse 19, the next verse says, it's fascinating stuff, friends. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God says, every one of us know that there is a God because we can look up into the sky and we can see what has been made. And if we don't admit that, the word of God says we're suppressing the truth. That it's common sense to be able to look up into the sky and see what this world is and know that this world must have had a designer. This lectern had a designer. This book had a designer. That pew had a designer. Those lights had a designer. That drum set had a designer. That keyboard had a designer. That piano had a designer. That stone wall had a designer. That thing had a designer as well. We look at everything in this world and we know it had to have a designer, but we'll look at the most complicated thing in this world, this universe, and say it happened by a cosmic accident. Now you explain that logic to me. Now explain that logic to me. And Paul is writing, he says, the atheist suppresses the truth because he can look up into the sky and see and know by what has been made that there must be some kind of designer. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So people say they're atheists. You know what the Bible says about them? They're suppressing the truth. Because they know from what has been made. How can you look? How can you look at something as complicated as the human eye and think this was a cosmic accident? So we have the Big Bang, or, or you know, and I've said this hundred. I've told you this before, you know. Genesis 1 and 2 basically just says, it tells us very little about creation. It just says God has created, and it says God said let. And when God said let, there's a whole bunch of things happened. And it doesn't tell us really how it happened. Okay? See, I'm okay with the Big Bang as long as God is the Big Banger. When he said let, did there some kind of bang happen? Genesis 1 and 2 just says God said let, and then there was. God said let. And then there was. That's all it tells us. But it screams that God 
did something. It doesn't tell us how he did it. It's just he did something. And when he said let, was there big some cosmic explosion? I have no clue. But if there was a cosmic explosion, it was at the command of the creator. So the atheist, the Bible says, the atheist knows the truth, but suppresses it. Suppresses it. So that people are without excuse. Here's the answer to the question. When they says, well, what about those pure, poor little African tribe that never heard of Jesus? Well, the best biblical answer that we can be able to give is that all people that have never heard of the word, person of Christ and never had to make a accepting him or not accepting him kind of a decision, the people that have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ will be judged on what they knew. The old timers used to say the light that they had. Light means knowledge. And this word says, because they had the light of creation, look what it says, friends, they are without excuse. So when someone stands before God and has never heard of the person of Jesus Christ, God in his graciousness and his love will judge them on what they knew. They may have had very little knowledge, but that, that knowledge would have said that there has to be some kind of something, someone, something. I, if, I, if I'd have been a really good preacher this morning, I'd bought you a clip from a John Wesley movie and John Wesley goes to Georgia from England to, to, to minister to the colonists there and it shows him going out in the bush and, and, and sitting down with this big burly black guy and, and having a meal with him. And before the meal, the black guy prays. And Wesley is dumbfounded. Because Wesley was a man of education and he was rather stuck up too. He was a man of education and thought he knew more than everybody else, at least at that point in his life, he did. And he looked at this burly black guy who didn't know anything and says, you know something of God? And in the own, his own language, I'm not quoting him exactly right, he says, you have to look up into the sky and know there's a God. He didn't know of anything of Jesus, but he knew as much of, of God to say, Lord, we thank you for this bounty that you have provided. Oh, probably didn't say Lord, God, or whoever. So that people are without excuse. There's two challenges to truth, and that's, Pluralism and moral relativism. For the atheist, the truth is inconvenient, so they suppress it. Listen, listen, please know this. Atheism is a posture of the heart as much as it is a conclusion of the mind. Please know that. It's a posture of the heart. And whether you're an atheist or whether you're an agnostic or whether you whatever you are it's a posture of the heart as well as a conclusion of the mind because modern man does not want to bow their knee and admit they're a creature and they're accountable to a creator that offends the sensibilities of modern man we don't want anybody telling us what to do so that means it's not just a conclusion of the mind it's a posture of the heart So I'm telling you, there's, there's, 
There's challenges to truth. There's pluralism. There's moral relativism. But I also tell you that the truth can be suppressed. And it can be suppressed through, through supposed atheism. But God, I just can't get around this. God just says they know the truth, but they suppress it. They know the truth because they look at what has been made. Because what has been made makes God clearly seen. So they are without excuse. God says it's common sense to look up into the sky and say somebody had to do something. Paul also writes that truth is suppressed through idolatry. Now, we don't consider ourselves idolaters because we read about Abraham and he came out of idolatry and we read about moon gods and sun gods and we see ourselves so, more, so much more educated and sophisticated than that that we don't worship statues and all of that. But idolatry is alive and well in our world today. And the commandment prohibiting idolatry and graven images is just not for biblical times. Paul writes about this in chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. 24 is a very difficult verse. Therefore, God gave them over. Wow. Other translations say God gave them up. What does that mean, Mark? I'm not sure. I can tell you what I think it means, but I don't necessarily like it, to be quite honest with you. God gave them up. You want to believe this? Go ahead and believe it. God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Idolatry is, you worship idols if there's anything in your life that is above God. I've heard so many people say this. Well, my wife, I I couldn't live without my wife. Does that statement do anything to you? I couldn't live without my wife. I don't want to live without my wife. But if I couldn't live without my wife, it sounds like she's an idol to me. Now, I know nobody likes that, but that's truth, friends. I couldn't live without my husband. Oh, I don't know what I'd ever do with my kids. Didn't have my kids. I don't know what I'd ever do if I had my kids either. But you know what? I'd still have God. And he'd give me the grace to go on. And I'm not going to say something as blasphemous as I could never live without Sue. It'd be hard. I don't want to live without her. But that's an idolatrous statement. Now, I don't, the people saying that, they don't mean to be idolatrous. They're not thinking through the logic of what they're saying. They're not thinking through the consequences of what they say. An idol is simply anything that's above God in your life. Your kids can be an idol. Your kids can be an idol. Your spouse can be an idol. 
Your job can be an idol. Your reputation can be an idol. Your money can be an idol. I mean, I could go on and on. And truth, truth is suppressed through idolatry and what we put first in our lives. That's why I put on my, I don't put this on my Facebook page to show what a great Christian I is. I put it on my Facebook page to make sure I believe it. Because I got my name and then I say Christian. Then I say husband. Then I say father. Then I say son. Then I say brother. And then I say pastor. I don't say that to show you what a great guy I am. I say that to remind me of the order that things should be in my life. You know what? If I have Christian first, all those other things seem to be going pretty well in my life. We can create, one of the ways we create idols is creating a God in our own image. You see it everywhere. Well, my God, you can just stop them right there. I don't understand the phrase, my God. I understand the phrase God. I don't understand the phrase my God. But they'll say, well, my God wouldn't, my God doesn't, my God wouldn't. And what follows will be a God that they have invented in their own mind and they haven't submitted to the God that has revealed himself to us. Well, my God... My God would never... Now you can fill in the blank there with a whole lot of things. Idolaters will, will believe parts of the Bible, but they won't usually believe it all. Well, I, I don't, you know, there's I, that, that part of it, you know, I, you know. That, those, those verses. You know what? That makes me sovereign over the text. That makes me pick and choose what I believe. You know what that means? I'm in control. The Christian must submit himself to the truth of this, whether he or she likes it or not. I told you last week, maybe if there's some parts of the Bible that I've written, maybe I'd have left out. Because it kind of, well, really would be nice if I didn't have to tell people that. Well, it really would be nice if I didn't have to go there or go there or leave that verse out or those chapters out. And if I do that, I'm creating a God in my own image, a God that I think is cool, a God that I can believe in, a God that I can align with, a God that meets my sensibilities. You see, it's about me being in control. The Christian says truth has been revealed to us and I am a creature and I submit myself to the creator's self-revelation of himself. And I do not have the right to pick and choose. Well, you know, I don't think that verse is inspired. Uh, I don't, you know, the, the Gospels, I'm okay with the Gospels. But that Paul stuff, pfft, 
He was a cranky old guy. Well, that stuff way back in the Old Testament, (laughs) that makes me sovereign over the text. I don't have that choice if I want to be a biblical Christian. Now, if I want to be a moral relativist, I can do that because my truth leaves out some verses. My truth, you know, my truth. Truth is suppressed, at least the Bible says, through atheism, even though they know because what has been made and seen, they suppress the truth. And the truth is suppressed through idolatry, creating a God in your own image or something else or someone else that takes first place in your life, even your wife or your husband. You know one thing that my wife demands of me? That I love God more than I love her. Because she knows that if I love God more than I love her, our marriage is going to be okay. So each Sunday when we come to the table, we remember one who has been revealed to us. And we remember one who has made some very exclusive statements about himself. And by receiving communion and taking of the bread and taking of the cup, we're identifying with this person that's called the Christ and the statements that he made. It's blasphemy for me to go to receive communion and receive of the cup and receive of the bread, but then I don't believe that Jesus said that and I don't believe that Jesus said that. I don't believe that was really true. That was probably, you know, the writers got that wrong. You know, The writers got this right though. How do you know? How do you know the writers got that right and that wrong? Who are you? Who am I? to be able to make that kind of a statement. So as I call you to the tables this morning, you're, you're coming to receive the bread and receive the cup, elements of his body, of his, that claim who he is, and you cannot separate who he is from the way that God has chosen to reveal Jesus Christ, not only in the Gospels, through the rest of the Bible as well. You're, you're receiving the cup of the one who calls himself the truth. The truth. And the fact that he had the audacity to call himself the truth makes us not pluralist, makes us not more relativist, doesn't allow us to be idolaters as well. We must be ones who will submit ourselves to the truth as it's been revealed in the word of God and the word of God has revealed to us the word himself made flesh and lived among us. Father, when we we discuss this this area of truth, we wade into deep, deep waters. 
we also are really challenged to make sure that we're not suppressing the truth or that we aren't an idolater because someone or something in our life has first place except you and the way you've revealed yourself to us in the person of Christ. Help us as we come to the table. Help us understand the gravity of what we do. May we be people of truth, people who coexist, people who coexist, people who speak the truth in love and grace, people who are kind, people who are respectful to others, but still people of the truth with backbone to admit that, no matter what the consequences of that may be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.